Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Good to have those who are uh, joining us online. Welcome. And um, let's turn together to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. And what we're going to do is take this a little bit at a time. We're beginning in verse 1. Let's just read verse 1 and then pray together and ask for God's Spirit to meet us in this time. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Working together with Him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Father, as we spend this time in Your Word, we pray, Lord, for Your Holy Spirit to bring illumination. We pray for power to touch our hearts, to minister life, grace, conviction, encouragement. Lord, we thank You. Your Word is not just words on a paper, but they are living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. We want to go under the knife this morning, Lord, and we pray that You will speak powerfully to us in this time. And most of all, we pray that You will glorify Your Son, Jesus Christ, in our midst. It's in His name we pray. Amen. I want to stop there because Paul's appeal to not receive the grace of God in vain confronts us with a difficult question. Can the grace of God not work? Can the grace of God not accomplish what it was given to accomplish in our lives? Because that's what this passage seems to be saying. The word vain means empty or useless. So Paul seems to be saying, don't receive the grace of God in an empty way. In such a way that the grace of God doesn't accomplish what God meant for it to accomplish. And so the question is, can the grace of God be given in vain? Can it, the grace of God be in effect empty and ineffective? And the answer to that, I believe, is no. And yes. And what we need to do is get a little theological here to understand theologically some, some biblical truth. The, the big truth of the Bible is that God is sovereign over all. He's not a powerful God who's, who's just a little bit ahead of everybody else. He is sovereign over all. No one thwarts, no one derails God's sovereign will. Nobody stands in the way of God's sovereign will. Job prays this prayer in Job 42.2. He says this, I know that you, speaking to God, can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No one derails God's purposes. So if we look through a wide-angle lens, we see that God's providence and His grace is working everything for the good of His people and for the glory of His name and for His great joy. God is all-powerful and nothing and no one thwarts His grace, providence, and power. It is never in vain. 
No one can stop His will from being accomplished. That's a wide-angle lens. Now if we take a look through a narrow-angle lens, we see that we can experience more or less of God's power and grace in our lives depending upon the choices we make. The Bible says that the Pharisees rejected God's purposes for themselves in Luke chapter 7, verse 30. They rejected God's purposes for themselves. The river of grace was, was rushing unstoppably and mightily, but they refused to get into it. Romans chapter 12 says that we have all as believers received a measure of grace from God and then it exhorts us to steward that grace through faith and by usage. We have received the grace. Paul says, now put it to work. So when Paul tells the Corinthians, don't receive the grace of God in vain, He's appealing to them, don't let the grace of God you've received be empty of its power by not putting it to use in your life. Let the grace you've received accomplish all that God gave it to you in order to accomplish. And I, I think Paul might have in mind a couple of things here. As in so much of this passage, I think there's a couple things that Paul has in mind. Number one, he's got unbelievers in mind throughout these, these chapters. And so he's saying to those who are not reconciled to God, not in relationship with God, don't receive the grace of God in vain. You know, it is possible for someone who is not a believer to get close to the grace of God, to enjoy the fringes of the grace of God, to enjoy attending church, to enjoy the fellowship of believers, to, be, to feel encouraged by the message of God's Word, but never allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of His grace in their hearts on a deeper level. And so the appeal, the appeal that is given here is, and it's God's appeal to them, be reconciled to God. Draw near to Jesus Christ in faith and be saved. Don't enjoy hanging around salvation. Get saved. Let the grace of God do what He has given it to do in your life. Be reconciled to God. That is the appeal we remember reading in chapter 5. But I, I think Paul's not just talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to Christians as well. And Chuck Sundahl identifies two ways that a Christian can receive the grace of God in vain. And the first is this, by embracing a graceless life. That is legalism. By trying to and trusting in good works to make us right with God instead of trusting in Jesus Christ. Legalism is a way that empties grace of its power in our lives. The second way he describes is when a believer fails to take advantage of the opportunities for ministry that God gives to us. 
If we let God-given opportunities pass us by, in essence, what we're doing is we're putting the grace of God on a shelf. We're, We're putting the grace of God on a shelf. If God gives you grace to witness, and you never witness, that grace of God is in vain. It's not accomplishing what God gave it to you to do. If God gives you grace to serve, but you don't serve, that grace is not accomplishing what He gave it to you to do. If God gives you grace and gifts to build up the body of Christ, but you don't work to build up the body of Christ or use those gifts, that grace sits dormant. It is not accomplishing what God gave it to accomplish. In those cases, the river of grace is flowing. It's available. But we're not getting in it. Verse 2. For He says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Quoting Isaiah 40. 8 verse 9. And then he goes on to say, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. There's a a sense of urgency we don't want to miss in this as he quotes from Isaiah. Talking about now, talking about today, talking about this day being the day, the favorable day, of God's salvation. And as Paul appeals to the Corinthians, re-engage in the ministry and the message that God has given to us, the message and the ministry of reconciliation, re-engage in that ministry, use the grace that is available to you in Christ. Paul adds a, a note of urgency into this. Do it today. Do it today. Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day. There is such a blessed truth in this appeal. Because Christ has accomplished all that is necessary for us to be reconciled to God, for us to be saved, And for us to go forth and be His ambassadors to bring that message and that ministry of reconciliation to others. We don't have to wait. And we shouldn't wait. Now is the favorable time. But there's also a warning in here. Today is the day. We don't know if we have tomorrow. So, as this speaks to an unbeliever, it is, it is saying to that person who might be putting off getting saved, putting off making that decision to receive Christ. They, they feel like, I want to get there, but I'm not ready now. I don't want to get there now. I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. God says, don't do that. Today is the day. Now is the time. You don't know. None of us know that we have tomorrow. We think we do. We assume we do. But none of us know that we have tomorrow.
And there is a day when now will be over. When today will be over. When it will be too late to turn to Christ. It will be too late to repent of our sins. It will be too late to receive the reconciliation and the forgiveness that Christ offers so freely. There will be a day when now is over and for the person who has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, there will be no more now. There will be no more opportunity. There is no more chance. It will be too late. So God says to that person who is, who is at that point and saying, do I believe? God says, today is the day. My Spirit is upon you. I am ready to draw you. Come to Me. Come to Me. Today is a favorable day. But this speaks a needed word to Christians as well. Because it says now is the time to engage with God's grace in a way that puts it to effective work in the way that God has given it to us to do. Seize the opportunities for ministry that are around us. Don't say, hey, those opportunities will be here tomorrow. I'll seize them tomorrow. God says today is a day. Paul says Today, I appeal to you, today is the day. Today is the now God has given us. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters, when we get into a habit of saying, um, not now, tomorrow, not today, I'll do it tomorrow, when we get into the habit of that, we run the risk of coming to the end of our life and looking back and seeing a trail of missed nows. Of missed todays. A lifetime of missed opportunities to live in the grace of God that is flowing and active and available to us today. And I'm speaking to myself in this as much as to anybody. God says, now is the favorable time. God's grace is available and ready to bear fruit in your life and in my life now as we live for His glory. Don't put that off till tomorrow, God says. Don't think, I'll get there. Receive it today. Let's continue reading in verse 3. I'm going to read through the whole thing, but we're not going to get through the whole thing this morning. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, Sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, 
as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. I was listening to uh, NPR the other day, and they were highlighting a particular composer. I'd never heard of this composer. And as they played parts of his song, they were dissecting certain aspects of his style. And one of the... um, one of the distinctives of this composer is that he would at times speed up the music and then at times he would pull it back and slow it way down in order to create a tension and a dynamic in the music. And as I was reading these verses this week and preparing, uh, I had a decision to make. Do I speed up and power through these verses? Or do I slow down to make sure we don't miss all that is in these verses? And at first, at first I thought, this is a no-brainer. I mean, this is Paul's resume. This is Paul's heart for ministry. But at a first glance, it doesn't seem to have a lot to do with us, does it? I mean, you know, how many of you got beaten on the way here to church this morning or this week at work, literally, or, or went through a riot? Uh, Ken mightn't have to endure a riot this week at some point, hopefully not. But most of us, riots, beatings, imprisonment, you know, calam- all these things are not a part of our ministry. Most of us are not being slandered and in, in, in constant opposition And so, it's like, let's power through this. This is Paul's resume. Most of us, we don't have Paul's calling. Amen? We don't have his calling. We don't have his ministry. Let's power through this. But I think a closer look reveals that these verses actually have a lot to say to us. A lot of ways we can relate. And big picture ways that we do identify with Paul. Paul is describing here his ministry You know what he's describing? He's describing the opposite of grace given in vain. This is the opposite of grace sitting dormant. It describes grace that's available and accomplishing all that God gave it to accomplish. Grace available and accomplishing. And that's what God wants for us. God wants His grace which is abundantly available to us to accomplish all that He has in mind for it to accomplish. So I don't know about you, but I'm not in a hurry. Like, we're not going anywhere, right? And so, once again, we're going to do a two-parter on this so that we can unpack what God has to speak to us through these verses. And what I want to do is take a holy pause. We're talking about the grace of God not being received in vain. The grace of God being received in such a way that it accomplishes all that God desires His grace to accomplish in you and in me. And I want to just say this. 
through Christ, God's grace is abundantly available to you. There is no shortage of grace. There is absolutely no shortage of grace available to us to receive. And someone here, you may not say this with your words, but you're saying it with your heart and your feelings, you're thinking, yeah, I know His grace is available, but I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. Well, neither am I. And look around. Because there's not a person in this room who's worthy or deserving of grace. And if you are worthy and deserving of grace, then it isn't grace. Because grace by definition is that which is given undeservedly. If you deserve it, it ain't grace. God gives us grace as a gift out of His great love and His gracious heart. So put away the idea, I don't or I do deserve it. Let's settle that question. You do not deserve it in any way. That's why it's grace. We come to Jesus not with our hands full of what we're going to give to God. We come to Jesus with empty hands saying, Lord, I have nothing to give, but I have to receive from You. I come to receive from You. That's what He wants. Not hands full of what we give, but hands empty to receive from Him the grace He so abundantly gives to us. God's grace doesn't grow in power and activity in our lives because we try harder for Jesus. His grace grows in power and activity in our lives because we draw nearer to Christ and abide in Him. And we receive and believe Him to do His grace great and gracious work through us. Paul writes in verse 1, working together with Him. Paul working together with God. God working in us and God working through us. Listen, I want to tell you, the world does not need to see more people working for God. The world does not need to see more people working for God. The world needs to see the power of God working through more people. The power of God, the grace of God working through us. Not us working for Him. God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We lay hold of that power by believing God for it. By receiving it graciously as a gift from God. And then having faith that steps out and begins to walk in the grace and the power that God gives. And don't be in any way discouraged if your first steps are stumbling, halting, falling. God loves that. You're stepping. You're believing. You're trusting. And we never move past that. And I want to share one other thought. Because some of you might be thinking, yeah, I've tried that. Today is the day. 
Don't look back and say, yeah, I'm past failures, past attempts, starts and stops, and get discouraged. Today is the day. Now is the right moment to believe God to fill you with fresh grace. He's got fresh grace for us today. Today's a great day to believe God to pour fresh grace upon us. And then step out in faith and get into the river of grace that God has made available to us. Verse 3, Paul says, We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Grace enables us to influence people toward Christ. Remember when Paul says, talks about our ministry, he's referring in chapter 5, God has called us as ambassadors of Christ and He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. Bringing people who are a broken relationship with God into right relationship with God. That is both unbelievers bringing them gloriously into, into friendship with God and salvation, but it's also to believers. He's writing this to believers. He's got, I think, one eye on both. Because believers, though our, our, the work of reconciliation has been completed in Christ, the ongoing ministry of reconciliation, well, I need that regularly. Because when we sin we begin to draw back and away from God. We begin to put up walls between us and God. We begin to think God is distant. He doesn't love us. And, we, and there needs to be this wonderful ministry of reconciling our hearts back to a Father God who loves us intensely. And so Paul is, when he says our ministry, he's talking about that ministry of reconciliation outlined in chapter 5. And what he's saying here is we do everything possible to promote reconciliation and not block reconciliation. We put no obstacle. We commend ourselves in every way. We do everything to not stop people from coming to Christ and to try to move people towards Christ. I think a lot of life comes down to influence. What does our life influence? John Maxwell writes that leadership is all about influence. Our legacy, what we leave behind, will be in essence, our influence. The other day, a commercial for public house, public clearinghouse uh, sweepstakes came on, and, and this particular sweepstake was to win $5,000 a week for life. But as if that's not good enough, then at the end, you can choose someone that when you pass on, they will receive $5,000 a week for their whole life. And then it, the commercial ended by saying, leave a legacy. And when I heard that, I thought, that's wrong. That's not right. 
That's not right. You are leaving an inheritance. You're leaving money. I mean, that's a pretty generous thing to leave someone behind. And that's not a bad thing. But it's not a legacy. A legacy is not how much money you leave somebody or property. A legacy is what your life has, how your life has impacted them, has influenced them, what they remember about you. Now, our flesh, our flesh wants to influence people towards what we want, our own selfish agenda. It's built into our sinful flesh. We want to influence people to get our way. We want to influence people to get out of our way. We want to influence people to, be, to manipulate them to do what we want them to do. We want to influence people to like us, to hold us in high esteem. We want to influence people, and on and on we could go. It is our selfish agenda. The more we live for that, the smaller and emptier our legacy is going to be. But God's grace working in us, God's grace, begins to change our agenda and begins to make it His agenda, which is that our lives might influence people towards Christ. Ministry of reconciliation. God reconciling the world to Himself. And so we see Paul here saying, I have a passion And I say passion because he says we put no obstacle. We commend ourselves in every way. We do everything humanly possible to make sure that our ministry does not put blockage between people in Christ, but commends Christ in every way. We want to do everything we can to help people be reconciled to God. Now God has put people in your sphere of influence. He has. There are people you touch that maybe nobody else in this room has influence in. And the question we want to ask ourselves is, does my influence point them to Christ, influence them towards Christ, or am I putting blockages? Yeah, I don't, I don't want it to be like, it's horrible if the best witness you do is when no one knows you're a Christian because you stop from blocking people. That's not what we want. We want our lives to influence people towards Christ. Now here's where Paul and I have to part company, and I think probably you as well. The grace of God was so powerful in Paul's life. It wasn't a perfect man, but man, he was tapped into a grace measure of grace that very few people alive have ever experienced. And so he was able to say of his life and his ministry, we commend Christ in every way and we put no obstacles in the way. And I think he probably was pretty accurate in that. And I can't say that. I cannot say that. I know I've put obstacles in people's ways. I've made it harder for some people to believe. You know, having pastored as many years as I have, uh, every now and then I'll have a fresh memory of something I did or something I said or some way I treated somebody and I cringe. And I also know that my life does not commend people to Christ in every way. 
I'm not. I'm not. I can't say what Paul says here. <clears throat> we are not perfect. Our lives will put some stumbling blocks. Our lives won't press Christ as powerfully as, as ever we could. And as we go along, we need to ask the Lord for forgiveness. And for His... Lord, I, I blew that. We need God to... like sometimes overcome <laughs> our influence. But the fact that we don't have this measure of grace, the grace of God in us still empowers us with a passion to want to do everything we can to not stumble people, to not put a blockage in their way, but to commend Christ through our lives, that people see Christ in our lives, and that the Holy Spirit through us influences people towards Christ. Imperfect people. Unfinished people. Helping imperfect people come to know Christ. And let's believe that God can use you. You. Today. To influence and accomplish that ministry of reconciliation. But we haven't completed Paul's thought here. He writes in verse 4, As servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. We don't put obstacles, but what follows is a colon, not a period. He is now about to say, here's what that looks like. Here's what grace looks like in real life. And this is what we're going to look at next week in more detail, but a flyover is this. Grace in hardship. Both natural calamities and man-made adversity, there's grace to strengthen us. Grace in fighting the good fight with the weapons that God has given to us. And a little uh, sneak preview, what Ken touched on about being different in the world. We don't fight with the same weapons that the world fights with, but we do fight. Grace in the face of opposition. Grace to value reality over reputation. And grace to have an open heart in a closed heart world. We'll get to all that next week. I want to close with two brief encouragements. First of all, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, His appeal to you is be reconciled to God. There is nothing between you and God except your sin. And God put a bridge over the chasm of sin and holy God. And that bridge is the cross. Come to Jesus Christ. Today is the day. Now is the time to trust in Christ. God says, don't put it off till tomorrow. You don't know that you have tomorrow, but you have today. And He says, now is the time. Do not harden your heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to pray. If that's you, we're going to pray in a few moments. And to all believers, God says the same thing. Now is the time. Let's believe God and let's call upon God to do great things. Let's not be satisfied with grace available. Let's cry out for grace accomplishing. For grace 
to accomplish all that God has given it to us to accomplish. Let's cry out to that. God has given you grace. There's a river of grace flowing. Let's get into that river. Let's get into that river. And you say, where do I begin? What do I do? The first work. The first work is to lay aside every work. Lay aside every work. And come to Christ with no good work in your hand so that your hands are wide open to receive what He freely gives. That's the first great work. Where do we begin? He has reconciled us to God through Christ. He has made us new creations in Christ. We come receiving the great grace He's given to us and we cry out for more by abiding in Him and drawing near to Him and depending on Him and calling upon Him and believing God more and ourselves less. And from that place, let His grace overflow. Let's let His grace overflow. Step out, believe God can use us and see what God does. And I want to speak especially to those who maybe have been a believer for a lot of years and over time that faith can mature but it can also kind of harden, you know? And we can become disheartened and grace in our lives can become increasingly dormant. We begin to see a trail of failures and disappointments. We see people that hurt us and we become uh, disillusioned, maybe struggling with bitterness. Paul knew a lot about people that hurt him. Or maybe we carry the weight of regret in people that we've hurt. And so grace sits dormant. We, maybe we stepped out and we fell and grace sits dormant. So here's what I want to encourage us. Don't let yesterday define today. Don't let yesterday define today. Today is the day. Now is the time. Let's Take the grace God gives us freely today and step out. Take it off the shelf. And by faith, use it. Put it to use in the ministry God has given us to. I want to ask the band to come back up. And I'd like us to pray as they do and ask God to pour out fresh faith and fresh power on His church today. Let's pray together that God will draw those who don't know Christ to Himself. Let's pray that grace available becomes grace accomplishing in our lives and in Grace Community Church. Let's pray together. And if you are one, either in the room or online, who has never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, You've never believed in Him. You've never trusted Him personally. And God says with, with, with such love, today is the day. Today is the day. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for anyone who does not know Jesus. Maybe they know religion. Maybe they know church. Maybe they know the Bible. 
but they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I pray that, Lord, your Spirit will draw their heart to the river of grace that is available and draw their heart to get in. Not by trying harder, not by working, by believing. Believing in Jesus Christ. Trusting in His finished work on Calvary to save them to the uttermost, to forgive every sin, to wash them clean, and to give them eternal life. I pray you draw them right now, right today. And Lord, I pray for those who have trusted in Christ. Say, Lord, you have given us grace. Saving grace is ours. We can't get more saved than we were at the moment we received Christ. But sanctifying grace, ministry grace, fruit-bearing grace, that can grow in our lives. And we pray that you will help us, Lord, to draw near, to depend, to abide, to receive, to believe, to step out in faith and see what you do as we do that. Let there be abundant new grace, fresh grace poured out upon each and every person listening. Let there be abundant new ministry and influence for Christ. We know we can't do that, Lord, but we know you can do it through us, and that's what we're asking for. Give us faith to believe. Give us courage to step out. Give us joy as we see you answer prayers and accomplish great things. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We just want to get into the river of His grace so available and then watch what He accomplishes in our lives. To promote us calling together upon God for more of His great grace and power to work that we might see more souls come to believe and know in Jesus Christ. To see our hearts move towards God in more affection and to help us to be putting aside obstacles and commending Christ in every way. I want to encourage us to um, have a time of prayer this Wednesday night. It's going to be Zoom, 7 to 7.30, just a half hour of prayer. And what we're going to be praying for is God to pour out fresh grace, bear new fruit, bring great glory to His name through through our lives and through our church. I'd love it if you can join. I'll send out an invitation to everybody. Uh, realize it's short notice, but if you're able to join us, and if you're not able to be on the Zoom, then I invite you to pray. If not then, at some point during the day, let's be praying together as a church family for God's to pour out fresh grace for the purpose of Christ being exalted. And you know how Christ is exalted? You know how God's heart is pleased? When sinners come into friendship with Him. Heaven throws a party. And God has reconciled the world to Himself through Christ. And then He has given us the ministry and message of reconciliation. Let's pray. God pour out fresh grace. And that we get into the river of that grace. Amen. 
So I hope to see you Wednesday, 7 to 7.30. And um, whether we do or not, have a blessed week. Go in the grace and the love of God. God bless.